Good morning. Thanks for showing up. Well, you know, it, it's, it's always a risk. It is always a risk. Thanks for showing up. Um, this is the second of our NBC family chapels. Uh, we're a month in. This is week six for campus and week three, right, for fall B. So we're all making it happen. Um, so, again, thanks for showing up. Um, the speaker of the morning is Dr. Dr. Bob Broadbooks. He is the director for the United USA-Canada Mission Evangelism Department for the Church of the Nazarenes. He's right here. And his wife, I, I have not met you. Your first name? Carol. Carol. So they've made the trip from Kansas City. Would you welcome them? <laughs> they are, I found out this weekend, uh, past weekend, longtime friends of Ron and Ann. So if you want any of the scoop on Ron, come and talk to Bob. Come and talk to Bob. Uh, and he's going to be, I th well, no, okay, I'll stop. I'll just stop right there. He's going he's to be with us the day and uh, going to preach again this, this evening. The, the sermon this evening, uh, following the theme that we've been using, uh, but uh, um, in, a, in a way that I, that I hadn't seen before. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the evening. Again, thanks for showing up. You're all right? Does it feel like week six and week three of fall be? Yeah, yeah, everybody has that kind, of, uh, that kind of countenance. So I'm hoping that the songs we sing and then our prayer time and, and, our, um, and our time in the Word will help us lift uh, some. I want us to sing an old, an old song. You've heard our hearts. We give you praise. You've made it possible for us to begin to get a glimpse of just a bit of what it means to be holy. We give you praise. We thank you for the grace that you make available to us as we serve you in this place. So accept our weariness and accept where we are in this school year as our offering to you. And we pray for strength to serve you still. I want to pray for, for Corey Chambers and for his wife and children, for the changes that are going on in their life, and we pray continued grace as he makes his transition. Pray for Scott and Janine McConaughey and for the time that she's spending with her mom. I pray that in both cases, the holy presence of the Holy One will be evident in new ways. And we thank you for our brother in Christ and for his willingness to serve you and his willingness to make the trip here. Pray, give strength and guidance and grace for, uh, for his opportunities and the place that you've called him to serve. We pray that for us again. Grace and strength. Holy, holy. 
Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be here today on this beautiful day. It's wonderful to breathe Colorado air once again and to see the beautiful sights of this place and to envy Laurel Matson and Harold Graves for the privilege of being able to live here. Uh, Laurel and Harold are colleagues of mine from years gone by as district superintendents and and the Lord was sure good to them to, to let them and all of you live in such a gorgeous place. When I left seminary a long time ago, they sent me to Montrose, Colorado. Did you know that Highway 50 ends in Montrose? There is no paved highway out west of, west out of Montrose. And uh, so they sent me there where I could, uh, out in the middle of nowhere, where I could do very little damage. And uh, it was a pleasure. And then went to Hutchinson first and then back to Denver Lakewood. So I've lived in Colorado for a long time and uh, enjoyed every year I was here. And coming back to this place reminds me, I have uh, frightening memories when I come back to NBC. And that is that uh, when I was a young pastor in Montrose, I had to come meet the Ministerial Board of Credentials here on campus. And I sat in the room uh, being glared at by people such as Don Wellman, uh, pastor of Denver First at the time. And Don would ask you piercing questions with a glower on his face. Things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, how, how can you, how can you uh, explain to me how I can be sanctified? Those kind of things. And it was not me, but in one of those meetings, uh, those years, Wellman always asked the same question. Explain to me, son or daughter, how I can be sanctified holy. And one young man said, well, sir, uh, I don't know you, but may I ask you, are you saved? That's where we need to start. Uh, so you were training those students well, clear back then. The impact of Nazarene Bible College is inestimable. Uh, for 45 years, is that approximately, you have been training students and sending them out all over this world, and you continue that work today. And uh, I was not there in 1964 when they had General Assembly, the big uh, con uh, uh, Conflagration, that might be a little strong, but they had, uh, they, they had a, big, uh, a big debate about whether this place should exist. And you remember that uh, two general superintendents were, uh, were disagreeing about that. And uh, Dr. Williamson was, uh, he was set on it. And uh, there was another general superintendent by the name of Hardy Powers who wasn't quite so sure. And they had, uh, they had uh, some debate. And... Uh, uh, Dr. Powers was my wife's grandfather, and uh, interestingly enough, you have a building here named after him. So uh, evidently the debate was settled and, and hearts were mended and uh, we, we went on. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, NBC, uh, as, as a district superintendent for 12 years, uh, so many of the students, uh, so many of the preachers on the two districts that I served were products of NBC. And we congratulate you for your effectiveness and pray for your continued effectiveness in the days ahead. Well, I was uh, wondering what I should speak to you about, and I, and I just felt checked on the way over here to talk to you about something different than what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, I was standing in a uh, Target store a while back, not long ago, waiting on a prescription to be filled, and it was right by the greeting card section, so I found myself reading the greeting cards. 
And I came on to a section of uh, brand new cards that I'd never seen before. Uh, the, uh, the cards were, were written in such a way that on the front there was a, a statement by a youngster, a quote from a young person. And I was so taken by those uh, comments, I stood there, uh, wrote all of them down on a piece of paper. And I, and I wanted to share them with you today. These are, uh, this, is really, these, this is really good. Uh, here, one, one of the cards said, this is written by Addison Graves, who's four years of age. She wrote, if you would just do what I told you, I wouldn't have to be so bossy. <laughs> now that's pretty wise. I like that. Weston, age 10, another card. You stand out like a strawberry in a bowl of peas. Now that's descriptive. That is very descriptive. That's true of you, Gary. Yeah. Uh, Here's one, Emily Stone, age 10. The older you get, the less you bug me. <laughs> Harrison Weinstein, age 7. If I had 10 thumbs, I'd put them all up for you. Now that's, isn't that beautiful? A a Alex, age 8. You don't really know someone until you've had recess with them. <laughs> Hannah, age 8. If you're feeling blue, try painting yourself a different color. Mara, age eight. Sometimes you just need to take a nap and get over it. <laughs> and one more, Nathaniel, age four. You know it was a good day if you didn't hit or bite anybody. <laughs> Simple. Simple humor. And as I read those, I thought, man, that's, that's, that's good. Uh, ten months ago, Carol and I moved to uh, Kansas City to start this new work, and I'm still not sure what I'm doing, but anyway, I'm there. And so we finally sold our house in Nashville, and we were there packing it all up to move it. And... Uh, and so we, we, we filled up two pods, and then we had to go rent another truck, and we filled that U-Haul truck up. And as we were dragging this stuff out of the house into these uh, transportation devices, I said to Carol, you know, I have not seen these items since we put them in the house <laughs> six years ago. And I'm saying, you know, Carol, this is ridiculous. We're, we're dragging all this stuff to the next place that we haven't even used recently nor laid our eyes on, and it's just absolutely crazy that we do this. We've got to simplify our life. And then I just read an article in the newspaper about that time where this, there's this new thing going on called minimalism. And uh, there's this guy who's trying to, well, there's a group of people who try to live on owning just 100 items or less. That's all they own, 100 items or less. And so I said to Carol, I said, well, now, now let's, let's work on this. We can do this. We can, we, can, we can minimize our life and get it simplified down to, to just a few things. Let's work on this. And she said to me, she said, well, Bob, you know you have a hobby, and you have collected 450 milk bottles. So where are we gonna, what are we going to do with that? I said, no, that's just one collection. That's just one collection. 
But if, if, you, if it was possible to simplify your life into just, just a few items, could we do that? I don't know. The Quakers have a, a sentence that they, they, they greet one another with. They don't, they don't say, uh, how are you today, or hello, good morning. They don't, they don't necessarily say that. A lot of times, Quakers will greet one another by saying, how goes the art of simplicity with you? How goes the art of simplicity with you? I'm not sure I could answer that very well. And it, it is a struggle, a continuing struggle, to simplify our lives and make it, make it, just, make it just easy. Uh, those kids could do that with those statements. I'm working on it with all my possessions. But what about my life? What, what is, is there, are there some simple principles in my life that, that I can boil my life down into what would make my life meaningful? What would make it right? So I want to think about that with you today. I, I'll read a scripture to you. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, or beginning with verse 4. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Uh, Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to you, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In a sense, that's a simple life. Jesus simplified it. In uh, Matthew, when he talked about, in the, in the great sermon, where he talked about, uh, just put me first, just seek my, my righteousness, put me first, and all these other things will be added to you. He talked about the simple life, and, and this is a simple life, and, and I'm trying to think about the, the, the great people I've known, and basically they're pretty simple people. The great leaders that I've had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with, lay and clergy, the great leaders I've lived with and worked with, oh, those great ones, they, they, were, they, they were simplified people. They could, they, you, you, if you study the, the, the great leaders in your life, you probably could simplify their life down into just a few qualities. And so I began to think about that recently, and I, and I began to think about what was it about that great person and that great person and that great person, that, I, that great leader, that, that wonderful person. What were the qualities, the, the simple qualities in their life were, that, were, that were identifiable? And I, and I boiled it down to three. And as I thought about the, the administration and the staff and the, uh, the professors who are here this morning, I thought, you know, I, I, I want to talk to you about this. You're all leaders. And what would, what would make you great? What would, not for your own glory, but what would, what would honor God? It's really pretty simple. And so I want to talk to you about it this morning. Uh, the greatest people I've known had three simple qualities in their life. They were loyal, they were lost conscious, 
and they were loving. Think about the great leaders you've known, lay and clergy. I wouldn't be surprised that you could find those three qualities in each of them. They were loyal. Now, loyalty is not a word you hear much about anymore. <laughs> loyalty used to be more popular than it is today. Why, uh, it used to be that you could, uh, you could uh, graduate from high school, get on with a local company, work with them for 40 years, same company. You were loyal to the company, the company was loyal to you, and at the end they would uh, give you a gold watch and kick you out the door. It used to be loyalty uh, was also applicable in the church. It used to be that you would find Christ in the little church down the street from where you were born. Uh, you were married there. You, were, you lived your whole life in that church. You were loyal to that church, and that church was loyal to you. And after you had given your whole life in that church, uh, they would uh, have your funeral there, and they'd bury you in the cemetery out back of the church. Boy, those days are gone. It used to be you were loyal to the church, and the church was loyal to you. But now we have automobiles, and we, we move every seven years on the average. We, we live in a lot of different churches. But even though that's true, I, I want to suggest to you that the great people I've known were loyal to the church where God planted them. And when they did move, the first thing they did was pray and say, Oh God, where do you want me to put my energies? What church do you want me to serve? And, where, and they were loyal to the church where God planted them. Uh, one of the greatest laymen that I've ever known is my dad. He lived to be 98. Well, two weeks shy of 98. And uh, he was an old guy. He was loyal to the church. He was, found Christ in a little Nazarene church in Beatrice, Nebraska. And when he finally died, all those years later, they buried him from the altar of that church. His funeral was right there. All those years he was loyal to the church. I remember one day when I was about 10 years old, uh, we lived on Ella Street, in a, in a gunmetal gray house. You remember what gunmetal gray looks like? Painted gunmetal gray and white trim around the windows. And uh, we had a front porch. It was porch green. Do you remember what porch green was? Some of you young ones have no clue what porch green is. <laughs> Some of you younger ones don't even know what a porch is. A porch is something they put on the front of a house. <laughs> big thing in front of the house. Not just a stoop. It was a big thing in the front of a house. And uh, and they painted it porch green, kind of a deep, dark hunter's green, for those of you who don't know. But they used to paint all the porches green back then. We had a wooden swing on the front. It was painted porch green. And uh, I was about 10 years old. The doorbell rang one night. And the pastor, our pastor, came to the door. And mother said, now, Bobby, you better go outside and play. And I knew something was up because I'd always been uh, permitted to be a part of the adult conversations, but not this night. So I went out on the front porch. I was swinging on the front porch. I think I was there 45 minutes. And then finally the front door opened and the preacher came back out. And he was flushed red. And he saw me, but he didn't say anything. He was so frustrated. He just, he just stomped down off the front porch, stomped down the front sidewalk, got in his car. I still remember the car. It was a, it was a pink Studebaker Lark. Now that's an ugly car with an ugly pink color. But he got in that car and he slammed that door just as hard as he could and he sped away from the front of the house leaving black tire marks. And I thought that was a little unusual. 
And so I asked my dad a few days later, what was that all about? And he said, well, Bob, you see, the pastor uh, came over the other night, and uh, he's decided that he's going to start an independent church a few blocks from our church, our Nazarene church, and, he, and he's going around to all the people in the church that he still likes, and he's twisting their arms to go with him to start this church. Some of the people in the church he likes and some of the people he doesn't like. So he's going to all the people he does like, and he's working on it. And he was sure that the Broadbooks family would be going with him. And I said, well, aren't we going, Dad? You, you love the pastor. We're good friends with the pastor. And my, my dad said something very interesting. He said, well, no, Bob, we're not going. He said, you see, the Lord sent me to this church when I was 14 years of age. And I joined the church soon after that. I committed myself to the church. And now, now he said, Bob, if the Lord told me to go, we'd go. But, but he hasn't told me we'd go. And then he said, now, Bob, you've got to remember, preachers come. And preachers go. But the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I guess the Lord never told my dad to go anywhere because he stayed right there till he died. But he was loyal. It's hard to find that commodity these days. But all the great people I've known were loyal. They didn't agree with everything that went on at the church, <laughs> but they were loyal. Because God had put them there. And they weren't serving the pastor. They were serving the Lord. And every great leader I've ever known is loyal. Now, I'm not talking about being loyal to a name on a sign. I'm talking about being loyal to Christ. And doing exactly what he asked us to do. And oh, by the way, being loyal to the church where he planted us. Church of the Nazarene is not a bad church. I know we hear doom and gloom about, oh, you know, the church is going down in the United States and Canada. But you know, it's not all that bad. The Lord is doing great things in Africa. And the Lord is doing great things in South America. Well, he is. But he's not doing great things in every country in, in Africa. And he's not doing great things in the Church of the Nazarene in every country in South America. And he's not doing great things on every district every one of the 82 districts in the USA and Canada, but he is doing great things in many of them, and they're making great progress. I read Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer said that, that, a, that if, a, if a church has a ratio of 20 to 1, 20 congregates for every person they win, that's a pretty good church. And he said of the 400,000 churches in the United States, only 3% have a 20 to 1 ratio. 20 congregants to one new Christian a year. And I thought, you know, I wonder how we rate as the Church of the Nazarene. We looked it up in the research center. I asked the research center to look it up. Guess what? Over the last 30 years, if you, if you compare the, the people who have joined the Church of the Nazarene, new Nazarenes, with our membership, over the last 30 years, it has fluctuated consistently between 16 and 19. 16 to 1. 17 to 1, 18 to 1, 19 to 1. And that's just the people who joined the church. There are a lot of new Christians who don't necessarily join the church. And over the last three years, if you count up the number of, of new professions of faith, the people who are brand new Christians who have been one in the churches of the Nazarene in, in the USA and Canada, do you know what our ratio would be? 9 to 1. Now the Lord is doing good things in our church, and we rejoice in that.
And so we're loyal to our church. And, and I know the church isn't perfect, but hey, it's just all right. It's just all right. And we rejoice in it. Every great leader I've ever known is loyal. And then every great leader I've ever known is lost conscious. Lost conscious. And I'm time conscious because I know you've got to get out of here at 10.50. Lost conscious. Somewhere along the line, every great leader I've ever met figured out that, that there are people out there who are lost. Now, now there are some people today who have a, a problem with the word lost. And they believe in sort of an universalism. You know, everybody's going to get in. But I still believe, and I know you do too, that there is a lostness in people. It is possible for them to be lost, to eternally be damned in a place called hell. And there, as we used to say, there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And we, all the great leaders I've ever known, believe that there, that there were lost people out there. And somehow we needed to go find them. And, and, and we couldn't always just get them to come to us. We, we'd had to go find them. And if you read Brzee, and if you read Wesley, and if you read all the great leaders of the past, you'll discover that they believed in this internal transformation of Christ in their lives. But they also believed that we had to go find the lost and minister to the lost and help the lost. And every great leader I've ever known simply was lost conscious. And they gave their life energies for the lost. And it just wasn't about me getting to heaven. It was about the lost getting to heaven. And every great leader I've ever known was burdened by that. And every great leader I've ever known, lay and clergy, when you talk to them about somebody finding Christ, they, they got teary-eyed. <laughs> they just got blessed. They got, they got so excited. Somebody found the Lord. And you're the same way. And I rejoice in that. Lost conscious. My mother was lost conscious. I hated this every Sunday morning. We only lived four blocks from the church. But she made me get into the car an hour early. And we would drive all the way away from the church to the, uh, the uh, other side of the tracks other side of our little town. We'd pull up in front of a ramshackle house and she would, I'd have to wait in the back seat, dad would wait in the front seat. She'd go down the long sidewalk, knock on the front door, and then she did something very strange. She didn't wait for them to answer the, the door. She just walked right in. And I guess she knew that Mr. and Mrs. Somerville were sleeping off whatever they had imbibed the night before. And she had permission, I hope to go in there. She'd wake up the four kids and she'd get a washcloth and wash their ears and get them dressed. And like the Pied Piper, she'd lead them out to her. I hated this every Sunday morning. I had to share the back seat with four Somerville kids all the way across town to Sunday school and church. Then all the way back after church to take them home. My mother was lost conscious. And she figured that if those kids were going to hear about Christ, they would probably hear about him through our efforts. And she used her gas, and she used her time, and she used her energy, and she even drug her family along so they would find about Christ, find out about Christ. <laughs> she was lost, God just. One more thing. Every great leader I've ever known is loving. You just love to be around them. They were warm, inviting, magnanimous, 
they were they they accepted you the way you were even though you were a little weird they still loved you even though you didn't comb your hair just right if you had hair <laughs> even though you didn't dress just right even though you were a little odd in everything you did they loved you anyway and they saw something in you they saw in you that you would be one of the living stones that would build the church and all together we would honor the living stone they saw that in you when you couldn't see it yourself they loved you they just loved you and every great leader I've ever known was loving I know I've been describing you in this room but very simply I wanted to say uh, how goes the art of simplicity with you and I'm not talking about stuff I'm talking about qualities of your life it's really pretty simple are you loyal are you lost conscious are you loving A few years ago, my, uh, oh, I've got three minutes. I can do it. A few years ago, my uh, mother called and she said, Bob, I can't do this anymore. You know, been trying to take care of your dad. I can't get his wheelchair into the trunk of the car anymore. I can't, uh, I can't keep fixing the meals. I just can't do it anymore. And I said, well, mother, the three of us children have been talking about this and we've already got it figured out. We want you and dad to, to go down to Florida to live with Anita, my sister, she's going to take you and dad into the home, into their home, and, and you don't have to worry about a thing. She said, well, I'll talk to your father. I said, that'd be good. A few days later, she called back. She said, well, it's, all, it's, it's going to be just fine. We're going to do that. I think that's a good idea, Bob. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to move down there to Florida to be, with your, to be with your sister. I said, that's wonderful, Mother. I think that's a good decision. And uh, I said, Mother, you don't have to worry about a thing. We're going to get up there and empty the house out, have a big estate sale. It didn't take long. They didn't have much stuff. The most my dad ever made in one year was $8,000, so it didn't take long to empty out the house. Except the basement. My mother had been collecting stuff in the basement for a long time, and it was dangerous to go down there. But anyway, we, we cleared the house out. She, I said, Mother, you don't have to worry about a thing. All you have to do is get you and Dad ready, and, and uh, we'll, we'll take care of everything else. She said, I'll do that. So... I called her back a few days later and I said, now, Mother, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to Beatrice and get you, and bro my brother Roy is going to get you, and we're going to take you to the airplane, airplane in Kansas City, and I'll be there in Kansas City. We'll fly you all the way to Tampa, and we'll get you off the airplane. You won't have to worry about a thing. But, Mother, I just need you to be sure that you got everything taken care of at the house so that we can, we can take care of it, you know, when we get there. So you need to simplify, Mother. Mother, there's, there's one problem with moving you to Florida. I've talked to the Southwest Airlines, and you only get three suitcases apiece. So, Mother, the problem is you have to move to Florida in six suitcases. She said, well, I'll work on it. And I'm thinking, how in the world is she going to be able to do this? So, uh, so I called her back a week before, and I said, Mother, how's it going? She said, good news. I said, what? Now, this is kind of a private conversation, but... I want you to see how a great person thinks, a simple person thinks. Good news, I said, what? She said, uh, she said uh, there's a store downtown going out of business. And every, everything down there is, is drastically reduced. And they had these little horses down there that are, uh, that are reared up on their hind legs like they're bucking. 
and they're, they're getting ready to charge or something. And, the, and the, they had these horses down there, and they were only 50 cents apiece. So I bought 12 of them. And I said, Mother, you're not supposed to be collecting stuff. You're supposed to be getting rid of stuff. She said, no, I bought 12 of them. I said, what for? She said, well, board meeting is Tuesday night at the church. And so when the board, meters, when the board members get there, there'll be one of these horses at every one of their tables or their chairs around the table. And it'll be our little message to them. You see, she had just given... She had just given 60 years of her life to this little church. And she was leaving them a message. She didn't want to see the church go down. And so she was saying, keep charging. Don't you dare give up now. The Lord has good things planned for our little church. Don't you dare give up. Keep going. Keep going. It was her message to them. And then my mother said, good news. I said, what? She said, the mortuary people, well, that's, you know, that's the, it's the funeral directors. For, she calls them mortuary people. But the mortuary people have the stone already up, out of the cemetery. We're never going to be back here alive. And, and so tomorrow, I can drive your dad by the stone where we're going to be laid to rest when we finally are coming back. We want to see what it's going to look like, you know, where we're going to find him. You see, she was getting all the pieces put together. And then she said, good news. I said, what? She said, I'm all packed. And I'm thinking, how in the world could you be all packed retiring to Florida in just uh, six suitcases? I said, how did you do it, Mom? Well, she said, first of all, the first problem was I didn't even own six suitcases. So I went down to Goodwill. You, did you know, Bob, you can buy a suitcase down there for a dollar or two? And I bought a bunch of suitcases, brought them home. And she said, in the first suitcase, the first suitcase, I, I had it, uh, I, 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 I filled the first suitcase with jigsaw puzzles. And I said, jigsaw puzzles? What in the world? She said, well, you know, that's all your dad does anymore, just sits around doing jigsaw puzzles. A man's got to have something to do in his retirement in Florida, you know. We've got to keep the man busy. So, And I'm thinking, she's only got five left. Only got five left? How, how is she going to do this? She said, in the second suitcase, I've got it full of pictures. I, I said, pictures? Mother, pic what pictures? She, she said, I've taken all of the pictures out of the drawers. You know the, the wonderful holidays we've had around the house here. And, the, and the, the great church picnics we had down at Chautauqua Park. And I've taken all the pictures off the walls of the kids growing up. And she said, you know, I've taken pictures of all the families we've helped win to Jesus. And they're in there. And I'm taking a suitcase full of pictures. And I'm thinking, she's only got four left. And then she said, and Bob, I've, I've got the other, and then I've got, I've got two suitcases full of our clothes. And she said, uh, I, she said, Bob, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Florida in four suitcases. She said, you know, I got to thinking about it, Bob, and it's going to be a lot of trouble for you and your brother to get that wheelchair on the airplane and six suitcases, just too much for you boys to have to worry about. And you don't need that many clothes in Florida. It's not cold in Florida like it is in Nebraska. You just need a few things to cover up your body, but you don't need a lot of clothes in Florida. So we're moving in four suitcases. Could you do that? Talk about simplicity. That's simple. 
wasn't really that hard for her because she didn't have any fancy clothes. They'd given all their money away in ministry. It wasn't all that tough, really. All she needed was a few articles of clothing to keep her modest. And uh, something to keep her husband busy. And then a suitcase full of memories. <laughs> a suitcase full of memories. Of all the people that she had poured her life into. Just poured out her life into. How goes the art of simplicity with you? My mother lives now in a nursing home in Florida. And we found a nursing home just uh, a mile from my sister's house. Do you remember that, uh, those people that she used to drive across the town to minister to all the time, the Somervilles? Well, guess what the name of the nursing home where she's living her last days is? Somerville. And uh, I just want to say to you, the Lord is good. And for people who are loyal to his voice and lost conscious and loving, he does take care of them right through to the end. And so I just want to say thanks for all you do. And every song was worth it. And every class taught was worth it. And every book checked out was worth it. And every sermon preached was worth it. Every effort was worth it. And every person you poured your life into was worth it. Even if it was a pain sometimes. It was worth it, Joe. It's worth it. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to be simple people. And living stone, our Christ, would you make us into the kind of stones that would build your church well? And we thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of working in your vineyard. We pray your blessing upon this wonderful school. May the more than 1,000 students all around the world catch the spirit of these people. And may we truly be in the business of producing Christ-like disciples who are loyal, lost conscious, and loving. And we ask these favors in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you.